recipients of God's grace. We're the receivers of his goodness, his gifts, his lavish generosity. Who are we? We are followers of Christ. If we're followers of Christ, that means we want to do what he did, look like he looked, be like him, talk like him, think like him, act like him. We are the recipients of God's grace, and we are followers of Christ. Good morning. My name is Rich Joy, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm also serving as interim pastor here at Calvary. Again, a blessing to be together. I apologize for the condition of my voice. I've got a thing going on here. And I apologize if I keep my distance. Don't take it personally when service is over. I do not want to share what I have with you. Um, we've been for six weeks now, six weeks, we've been starting our, my, I've been starting my time with you with the same passage. I bet you almost have it memorized by now, right? Read the whole thing at the start each time. We've got three more weeks. There's so much to pull out from these verses that help us answer the question, who are we? It's a description of that early gathering of followers of Jesus right after he died and rose again. And this description we've been reading informs us, it helps us answer this question, who are we? So let's read it again. Here we go. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The section of this passage that we're going to focus in on today is verse 45 that says... Um, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. If we keep reading in Acts for the next couple of chapters, we find what they're doing here is they're, they're selling property, and they're, they're taking the money, and they're bringing it to the apostles and saying, give this to people who have need. They're practicing generosity, lavish generosity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I know many of us, as soon as the subject of money comes up in church, we get very tense we get very awkward. So I want to make you an assurance today. I am not after your money. And I mean that. I am not going to ask you for money when I'm done. I'm not going to pass a plate around and say, put money in it. I want to tell you what I'm after today. I am after your heart. We're going to talk about lavish generosity. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about being generous from this passage, the example in this passage, that's all about your heart. It's not about your money at all. This is a heart issue. God is always, always after our hearts. So I want us to just take 15 seconds, take a breath and pause here, and just say a quiet prayer yourself and say, God, help me hear what I need to hear today. Say that 15 seconds, and then we'll jump back in. Lord Jesus, help us to open our hearts and our ears to you today to hear what you have to say so that we can grow in being more like you as your followers. In your name, amen. There's a distinction we need to understand when we read passages like this between a description and a prescription. 
A description describes what is. A prescription tells us this is what you're supposed to do. This line that I just read that said they sold their property and, they gave, and their possessions and they gave their money uh, to those in need is a description of what's going on. It's not a prescription. It's not a command. I'm not going to read this to you and say, okay, everyone go home and sell everything you have and bring the money in here. That's not what this is. This is a description of what they were doing, but it's a great description. And it describes how we should be as followers of Christ. If we're going to be like him, if we're going to look like him, we have to be this generous because that's who he is. He's a generous, generous God who gives and gives and gives. And honestly, I want to be more like that, but sometimes it's hard. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to let go of what I have because I might lose something. But what we're going to find out is the more we let go, the more we gain. And I don't mean financially. I mean in God's blessing and in growth and in the growth of our heart. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, first, a foundation of giving. We have to start at the beginning. We can trace a foundation of giving all the way back to the book of Genesis, and we're going to work our way back there. But I'm going to go back as far as the book of Exodus right now. I'm going to read a passage and help us understand this foundation of giving that we have as followers of Christ. Exodus 23, 19, it says this. God is commanding his people to bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. This is in the context of Moses was leading the people out of Egypt. He was leading them from slavery to freedom. And what God was doing as Moses was leading the people is God was forming this group of slaves into a new nation, a new people. What we find in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, we find God giving rules and regulations and structures and laws and commands and guidelines. It was to help form this people into a nation. One of the, one of the commands God gave was this one right here. Bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of your, the Lord your God. What he's saying is, when you plant your crops, when you start the crops that you're going to grow to feed your family, when the first of it comes up, right at the beginning of the harvest, before all the rest of it is ready to pick, scoop that harvest and bring it to the priest and lay it before the Lord as an offering. That's what God was telling his people to do. Can you imagine how hard that would be? They were being asked to take the first of their crops, the crops that they were going to feed their family with that maybe they could use in exchange for other things like currency. This is how they were going to survive, by living off these crops that were growing out of the ground that they planted with their own hands. And God is saying, as soon as that first part of the harvest comes, before the rest of it's ready, take that part, bring it to the temple, and offer it to me. You think that would have been hard? God did not say to them, at the end of the harvest, once you're full, and all your obligations have been met. If you have some harvest left, please bring it into the temple and lay it before me as an offering. He said, take the first part. Why? Why would God ask the people that? It's not that God needs that. It's because he was developing their hearts. What happens when you do that? If I take the first of that crop and I bring it to the temple, what I'm actually saying is, God, you gave this to me. Thank you. And I am trusting you that you will give me more. You will give me what I need. This was an act of faith. 
This was an act of trust. Yes, it was obedience. God said to do it. God, I'm bringing this to you because you said so. But what's happening in my heart at the time is faith is growing. I'm saying I'm giving the first of my harvest, trusting that you will give me the rest. In the book of Leviticus, a different phrase is used for the same concept. Leviticus 27.30 says this, that the people were to give a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The tithe, the Hebrew word there for tithe literally means ten or tenth. What God is saying here is bring in your first tenth. The first tenth of whatever you produce, whether it's from the ground, whether it's from trees, whether it's from livestock, whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're producing to meet your needs that you would count as income that you use to cover all of your obligations, take the first portion of it, the first fruits, the first, now he puts a number on it, says the first tenth, and bring that to me as an offering and lay it down at my feet. Imagine how hard that would be. He didn't say, after you've done 90%, bring me 10. He didn't say, after you have covered all your obligations, bring me an offering. God said, bring me the first part, the first tenth. Why would he say that? Again, because he's forming their hearts. He's, he's growing their faith and trust in him to say, God, I'll bring you this first tenth because I'm trusting you for the other 90 I know if I obey you and I do it your way, you're going to bless that and take care of me. And you might even think this, even if you don't, I'm still going to do it your way. Because this was God's requirement. This was God was asking of them. So just to be really clear on how this works, because we're going to translate this forward to us, is in those days, God was saying, bring the first tenth, bring the first fruit. Bring it to me. That was a requirement. Offer it. Bring it to the priest. Lay it down as you're offering to me. That was called the tithe, 10%. Anything else they gave on top of that was an offering. And sometimes in church, we throw these words around, tithes and offerings. Thanks for your tithes and offerings. Thanks for sticking them in the box in the back. Thanks for sending them in. Thanks for your tithes and offerings. And you might wonder, what's the difference? The difference is the tithe is it's that first fruits. It's that first 10%. It's just saying, God, I'm giving you the first of my wealth. An offering is, I'm just going to give a gift on top of that. That's the difference between those two terms. Now, I mentioned this whole idea of giving started in Genesis. So let's push back a little bit further in time to the beginning of time. Adam and Eve were created. Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. What we find in chapter 4, Cain and Abel bringing an offering and a tithe to the Lord. Where did that come from? There's no command in chapter 1, 2, or 3 that they should do that. It's not recorded there. But they must have known. They must have had some idea. God must have said something to them about bringing the first fruits of their, their life to, to him because we find them doing it. Let's read chapter 4. Genesis 4, 4, 2 through 7. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Those are the two boys of Adam and Eve. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his offering, of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. So what happened here? They both brought offerings to the Lord. One was a, a, a farmer and the other one had livestock. And one's offering was acceptable and the other wasn't. Was it because one was livestock and the other one was, was produce? We have to take a close look at this. The lesson in it is so important. It's all about their heart and the obedience to God. It's all about trust and obedience. We look back at the difference between their offering. Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. It says here, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel brought the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. The difference here is uh, Abel is bringing the first fruits. He's bringing the tithe, the fat portions. He's bringing the best of what he has, and he's laying it at the Lord's feet. Cain is bringing some of what he has. He's making an offering. An offering is not a bad thing, but he didn't do what God required of him. He didn't honor him first with the first fruits. And so he accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. We can translate that all the way to their future right here at Calvary right now. And again, I said, I'm, this is not about money. I am not asking you for money, but I am after your heart. This is all about heart, trust, faith, obedience, because we can do the same thing. Sometimes we can, we can throw a little money in the offering basket or give a little gift or do a little something with our time or do a little bit here, a little bit here and say, I'm doing that for you, God. But that's not what God requires of us. That's not what he calls us to. He says, bring in the first, bring in the best. Trust me that I'll take care of the rest. And he knew how hard this would be for us. He knew. So this is one of the commands he gives with a promise. And we need to look at those two. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. Do you get that? Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. And here's the promise, verse 10. God could stop right there. He could just put a period on it and say, I am God. Honor me with the first fruits of your wealth. But he says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. God gives a promise. He's saying, if you trust me, if you obey, if you do it my way, I will take care of you. I will fill your vats. They will brim over. I will fill your storehouse. I will take care of your needs. Let's be careful here because there are a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors a lot of churches who misteach this as some kind of a spiritual way to get rich. They say, you give your tithes and offerings to God, and he's going to give you lots of money. That's not what this says. This is not like a spiritual stock market. This is, God says, live my way. Trust me. Honor me first, and I'll take care of the rest. It's a little bit like what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you as well. God never promised to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. I think that's in the Constitution or something. Right? <laughs> it's not in the Bible. He says he'll care for your needs. Live his way. He'll walk with us. He'll grow our hearts. He'll make us more into the image of his son. But he never promises you a full bank account. But he does say, I will give you your daily bread. And I will be your God. And you will be my son, or you will be my daughter, and we will walk through this life together. Live my way, is what he's saying. 
One more. And this one expands it even a little bit more. Malachi 3.10 and 11. It's the last book of the Old Testament, kind of the final words before the Old Testament is closed. God says this to his people, and he wasn't happy with them. If you read the context, I'm starting in the middle here. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now, there are a couple of things worth pointing out here. He says, bring the whole tithe, not part of it, and test me in this. Test me. I think it's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me on it. See if I won't prove faithful. See if I don't come through for you. Try it out. Test me. Bring the whole tithe in, and I will fill your storehouse. I will take care of you. He says, bring it into the storehouse. I'm not going to go very far into this, but there are two different schools of thought here that the storehouse is the local church. You bring your tithe, your offerings to the local church. You can give to other organizations. Do it lavishly, do it generously, but this is the storehouse. Another school of thought is the kingdom of God around the world is the storehouse. Bring your tithe somewhere there. Um, I personally, this is me personally, I land on, I believe that your local church is the storehouse God wants you to bring your tithe to and then be lavishly generous everywhere else. But I wanted to recognize that other very smart, committed, loyal uh, followers of Christ think the storehouse is the entire kingdom of heaven. In the end, it doesn't matter. What matters is this. It matters about your heart. Give your tithe and your offering to the Lord. And here's what will happen. He says, I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing on you. And not only that, and this is a huge part of the equation, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. I'll protect your stuff. I could tell you story after story of how I believe God has done that in our lives. Um, here's what it boils down to for me. Um, I started tithing when I was, eight, I was a brand new follower of Christ, 18 years old. I was in college. I was working weekends as a security guard. Um, I was earning $25 a week. And I heard early on in my walk with Christ, I heard that I was supposed to be giving God the first tenth of my income, so I gave $2.50 a week, which you could, I mean, I could laugh at at this point, but $2.50 out of my $25 weekend was a lot of money. But I was at that point where, like, if God says it, I'm just going to do it. And thank God, because he trained me, and Heidi too, and we've just been committed to this our whole, our whole marriage, and we believe God takes care of us. We have seen him take care of us. We have seen him prevent the pests from devouring our crops. It, here's what it comes down to for me is I would rather live on 90% of my income with God's promise and blessing and help than 100% of it on my own. I'm much better off living on 90% with God's hand on me than 100% with God saying, okay, do it your way. Um, I, I couldn't advocate more for that. All right, so that's our foundation. We're halfway through here now. That's our foundation. Our foundation is we have a solid ground in the Old Testament that says, here's how you handle your generosity in your heart. You give to God first. And you might say, yeah, that's good for the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament kind of guy. Good, because the New Testament says, tithe and give more. In fact, the, two, the New Testament says, let's just give it all. Let's give it all. So I hope you're all New Testament people. 
Here's what we're looking at, Acts 2, 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. How could they do this? What was going on in this group? That they could just sell property, they could bring in money, they could lay it at the apostles' feet and say, give it to people who have need. They were not incorporating a new socialism. This wasn't like, let's make everything even. This was a recognition that I have enough that I could give some to someone who needs some help. So they gave it, and they gave it no strings attached, help somebody with this money. How could they live like that? What, what affected their mindset? What gave them such a loose hold on the things of this world? Because frankly, in my world, in my life, my grip sometimes gets too tight, and I don't want to let those things go. I'm afraid to let those things go, especially my things and my money, to give up. How did they do that? We have to remember that this group was hot off, off the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had just raised from the dead. They had just come to believe that they would raise from the dead with him. He said he was coming back. They thought he was coming back any minute. That's how they lived. Jesus rose from the dead. He's coming back any minute. This life doesn't matter that much because we're not staying here. That was their mindset. If I could get more into that mindset that says this place is temporary. This place is not my home. I'm just here to manage a few things till I move on. If I started practicing that kingdom mindset that I think heaven would have, if I start practicing that now, it would totally loosen my grip on the things of this world. And I think that's what was happening here. There's a bad example of this. I'm going to tell it to you really quick. We won't read it. If you keep reading in Acts to Acts chapter 5, you find there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They loved all the attention you could get if you sold property and brought the money in. So they sold a piece of property. They brought the money in, but they only brought some of it. The problem was they told that they had given the entire amount, even though they held some back. And they got caught. And when Ananias was trying to explain himself, he died of a heart attack right there. Peter said to him, you could have kept the money. What are you doing? But Ananias wanted everyone to think he had given the whole thing. Instead, he had only given part of it, and he held on to it. A little bit like what Cain and Abel were doing, right? Cain. And then his wife came in, Sapphira, and Peter said, how much did you sell the property for? And she said, this much. And while she was trying to defend her life, she died too. No wonder this group had a sense of awe. I think that would be pretty awe-inspiring, don't you think? I think maybe next week we'll just go around the room, and I'll ask you, how much did you give? How much did you give? I'll read that story and say, we have people here ready to catch you. That's about the heart. Ananias and Sapphira could have sold their property, kept half of it, given half of it as a gift, and, they, and God would have been pleased with that. It was the deception in it. It was the control. When we give an offering to God, it's about letting go of control. They put the money at the apostles' feet and said, use it any way you see fit. No strings attached. That's how you give to God. And then imagine this sense of awe that grew around this group when someone who was in a desperate place of need, under a crushing load they couldn't meet, an apostle comes to them and said, someone gave us a gift. Here, it's for you. Wouldn't that be awe-inspiring if you had one or two or three or a thousand stories like that of people, God blessing people through people? Here's what it says in Hebrews 13, 16. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. 2 Corinthians 9.11 
You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We're going to spend a minute here because this is such an important principle for us as Christ followers. Let's keep that up here for a minute. Keep the slide up here. This passage, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you will be made rich in every way. Let's put the period there. Yeah, I like that. God, make me rich in every way. But that's only at the first part of the sentence we have to keep reading. Why would God bless us? Why would God give us more than we need if we're considering ourselves rich? And by the way, we all are. In this part of the world, we all are. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. This means that God blesses you so that you can bless others. God gives you something so you can share it with others. You are never the end point of God's blessing. You are a point along the way. When God blesses you, it's because he's got a destination down there he's after. You just happen to be along the way. We have to look at it like that. When God blesses me, when he gives, gives me something, any kind of a resource God gives me, it blesses me. But it's not all about me. I have to have the kind of heart that says, now I can bless another person. And that person can bless another person because God's blessing goes on like that. It's not intended to stop with me. That's what these people were doing in that first early church description. They were looking at what they had and said, I've got property I can sell. God has blessed me with this. They sold it, and they passed the blessing on to another person. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What that says to me is, Rich, don't be a grumpy giver. Be a cheerful giver, because when I give, I look like Jesus. I could sincerely and genuinely and honestly stop right here and look around at all of you and commend you on this. Through this series, I've stopped a couple times and I've said, I commend us on this. And I called us on a couple of things. This I'm back to commending. I will tell you in my time here since September, I have seen generous hearts. I have observed generosity in action. I myself has, have been on the receiving end of that since I've been here. Folks, Calvary, I am finding, is a generous place. I find wonderful attitudes. Here's a mark of that. I have run across a lot of appreciation, a lot of gratitude, a lot of expression of appreciation, and I don't mean cash. I just mean the expression of appreciation. That's a reflection of a heart condition. When you can say, here's what I appreciate about you, when you can say, here's what I'm grateful for. Here's what I appreciated about my community at Calvary. That starts to reveal the condition of your heart. And I find a lot of that here. Good. Good. So I want to commend you on that while I'm encouraging you to move along this spectrum of lavish generosity and to keep giving because it grows your heart. What I find in my life is when I'm generous, when I give, my heart gets bigger. When I don't, and I have times when I hold on too tight and I don't want to give, it tightens my heart. And if I do that too much, it shrinks my heart. It makes it hard. 
If I blow past people in need that I see out in my world, somebody who's holding a sign that says, I'm homeless, I need help, and for whatever reasons are going on in my mind, I say, I'm not giving to that person. If I do that too many times, I feel my heart starting to crust. And I don't want to do that. I don't want my heart to crust. If I pass by too many opportunities to be generous and give, it grips my heart. And the more I grip the things of this world, the tighter that gets. The more loosely I hold them, the bigger this grows. And this is what I want, really. This is what I want. And I want to be generous because it makes me look like Jesus. I want to be generous because then I acknowledge God, that he can handle it and he can take care of me. And God has given me everything. There's an Old Testament passage that says God has given you everything. He's even given you your ability to earn the income you earn. You might say, hey, it's my money. I earned it. Uh Uh-uh. God gave that to you. Um, The Old Testament has a concept that's called a steward, that people who had enough resources hired a steward to run their household. The steward would come in, manage the finance, run the staff, take care of the house and the properties. They didn't own anything. They just took care of everything. That concept gets pulled into the New Testament, and, and it says, we're all stewards. We're all managers. You don't own anything. What you have, God, has given you to manage. And what I don't want is for anything to own me. The more I think I own, the more it owns me. Giving is an act of trust. It's an act of obedience. It blesses others and it produces awe. I want to read a, tell you a New Testament story, but I decided I'm just going to read it and talk about it. I was three weeks back, four weeks back, I was in an adult discipleship class after service. I I went and sat in one of the classes. And it happened that day, the teacher was uh, talking through the passage where um, Jesus tells Peter to throw his net down. And Peter says, we haven't haven't caught anything all night. And Peter does it, and he pulls up all the fish. And in that class, it was expanding my thinking. And my, my brain was just opening up, and my heart was opening up as the teacher taught. But he said this. This is what really stuck with me. And I was thinking about this moment when I was sitting in that class three weeks ago. And I said, I have to remember to bring this up in three weeks when I'm on this topic. He said, the teacher said very simply, Jesus asked Peter for his boat. Wow. He did. Let's read this and then we'll get back to it. Luke 5, 1 through 6. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. There he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, to come with them, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, this is a very familiar story, and I'm not planning to teach the whole thing, just to share what really grabbed my attention three three or four weeks ago in class, is that Jesus said to Peter, let me use your boat. Peter didn't understand why Jesus would want to use his boat. Let's go out and and um, throw the nets out again. 
Peter had to say, yes, you can use my boat. First, Jesus was teaching from the boat. He got into the boat and he was teaching. Peter didn't know anything about the nets or the fish yet. Jesus just said, can I use your boat? And Peter said, yes. And then Jesus said, let's go out and fish. Peter said, because you say so. And he threw down the nets as an act of obedience, and he pulled up a boat-sinking haul of fish. So what struck me in this was, Jesus asked Peter, can I use your boat? Peter's part was to say, yes, you can use my boat. He didn't know what was going to happen next. Amazing things, awe-filled things happen next. But it started with, can I use your boat? And it didn't stop there. Jesus said to Peter, throw your net in. Because now Jesus is saying, Peter, can I use you? He could have, Peter could have said, no, look, we fished all night. We're not doing this. So in essence, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying to Peter, let me use your boat and let me use you. And it's going to produce a blessing like you won't believe. And so I want to just grab that concept and throw it out here. What would you say if Jesus came to you today and said, I want to use your dining room table? I want to use your dining room table because it's going to create a blessing like you won't believe. And I want to use you, by the way. I want you sitting at the table. There are some people who need some community. Invite them over. I'll be there. Would you say yes? If Jesus said to you, Can, I want to use your dining room table. What if he said, what if Jesus came to you today? What if we get that snowstorm Bill's afraid of? And Jesus comes to you and he says, I want to use your snowblower. And I want to use you. You and your snowblower. Let's go over to your neighbor's house and clear his driveway because he's not feeling well. And we're going to bless him. What would you say? If Jesus said to you, can I use your snowblower? Would you say, I don't know. I mean, I got my own driveway to do. Or if Jesus said, I want to use your snowblower, loan it to your neighbor and let him use it. Whoa, 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 I don't give my stuff out. People don't take good care of things. I've gone through this in my mind. Like I can't loan my things out because I get them back broken. What if Jesus said, I want to use your car? I want to, I want to use you and your car to drive somebody to a doctor's appointment who has no way to get there. What would you say? What if Jesus said to you, get ready. What if Jesus said to you, I want to use some of your money. I want to use you and some of your money to meet this need over here. And it's really going to bless that person. What would you say? What if Jesus came to you and said, I want to use your hands and your feet. I want to use some of your time. And you can't see it yet, but if you just say yes, right on the other side of it is a boat sinking catch of fish. I'm not talking about God making you rich. I'm talking about God doing something where your jaw just drops. It says, wow, God did that and he used me. That's what this was. These people were selling property that they knew in the end they were going to leave. At some point, they were managing it. They were selling property. They were bringing the money in. And they were just saying, use this to bless somebody. Use this. I could tell you so many stories that I have observed of how God has done amazing things when people have been generous. I could. I could tell you story after story. Um, and typically, I would tell you a couple just to try to inspire you. But I had a different thought this time. I'm not going to tell you any stories because I want you to go create your own. I want you to go make a story. I want you to leave here today 
with this prayer on your mind, God, show me where I can be lavishly generous so that I can bless someone else. And then we can all go create our stories. So I'm going to call the worship team up here. And as they come up, I'm going to prayer, put a prayer up on the screen that was part of the version devotional this past week, midweek at some point. I read this prayer and I said, we're praying this on Sunday. So you, you have that? Can we see that okay? All right, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pray this prayer. Not as a group, we're not going to do it in unison. Just sit in your seat, you and Jesus, and pray this prayer. And then Emmanuel and the worship team will close us up. 